Welcome to Southern Grace Church. My name is Richard. I'm one of the pastoral interns at this church. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. It's so wonderful to see so many faces here today, and new faces too. Uh, starting from today and continuing on for the next eight weeks, we're going to go through a new series, as you can see up on the screen behind me. It's called Living the Ordinary. Right? I'm not sanctifying, sorry. And living. Part of it, right? Sanctifying the ordinary. Um, and as Christians, you know, what does that mean for us in all aspects of our life? Sanctifying the ordinary. And today, one of the aspects of life that we're going to be preaching on, that I'm going to be preaching on today as we sanctify the ordinary life, is on work. And so as we get into our sermon today, let me pray for us and we'll get straight into it. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your words are living and active. Your words are sharper than a double-edged sword. And so, Lord, this morning as we come before you humbly, Lord, we ask that your words would speak power into the lives of your people here today. Lord, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The key passage uh, from the Word of God this morning I present to you. It comes from Colossians chapter 3, 22 to 24. Now, throughout the sermon, I'm going to be jumping into this text and out of the text. In fact, there's going to be multiple uh, different verses uh, that I'm going to be going into to talk about the point of what it means to sanctify the ordinary at work. And so please open up your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 24. If you don't have a Bible... Uh, you could put up your hand and our chief steward could get you a Bible. Otherwise, we're also going to have it on the screen behind me, as you can see. And so please read along with me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, it says this. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by a way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, there's a lot I can say about work and how faith plays out in the workplace, but we can't explore everything uh, about work today. However, I'm hoping to touch on you know, what I think we need as a church. You know, rather than trying to answer the variety of work-related issues and questions that we might face throughout our Christian life, I want to provide us with a foundation of what our faith and our work looks like when it comes together. And hopefully, using these foundational elements, it's going to help us as we sanctify the ordinary in our workplace. Now, I do not come to you thinking that I've mastered this, I'm an expert, um, and I have a complete understanding of this topic, not at all. But I do hope to take this opportunity to impart to you what the Bible says. It spoke to me deeply over the last couple of weeks as I was preparing about what it means to sanctify the ordinary in our workplace. Plus, if you're looking for some good good material on this topic. I want to highly recommend two books that I read. First one's uh, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller 
And the second one's a book called The Gospel at Work, which I read to help me prepare this sermon today. So, anyone recently, anyone recently sit a job interview of late, hands up, yeah? Couple people, there we go. Job interview of late, or perhaps you're part of some people who get the opportunity to sit at an interview panel. I mean, I've had a few opportunities to do that in my work career. This was about four years ago. So I don't know how things have changed now, but I think here's one of the questions that I asked, we asked in our job interview panel. And if you sat in an interview of recent, maybe you got asked this question. Here's one of the first few questions they ask. It's this. And so for future reference to be noted, why did you want to work here? Why do you want to work here? Right? Why did you choose the ABC? Why did you choose this school? Why did you choose this company? It's a hard question to answer, especially even if you haven't done your homework and if you haven't prepared. I think one of the best ways to answer this question, I think, is knowing who your employer is. Because if you know who your employer is, you know his purpose for the company, you know the direction, the vision, the strategy, the vision he or she has for that company. And if you follow that lead, that puts you in good step. And in a similar way for us believers, if we want to know how our faith and our work plays out together, we need to do our homework. We need to know our employer. Or to say it another way, we need to understand God's purpose. God's purpose for us in work. And to help us achieve that, I have three points today for my sermon. First point is this, you work for King Jesus. Second point is, your work cannot fulfill and satisfy And the third point is being faithful to the work God has placed us in. So why don't we jump into our first point. You work for King Jesus. You work for King Jesus. Did you know that on average, they say that people spend 90,000 hours working over the course of their lives? 90,000 hours. That equates to one third of your lifetime you're at work. Isn't that Insane. Isn't that crazy? And considering it takes so much of your time, there is a reason why people want to know the purpose of work. Even amongst us here, we have teachers, and a lot of them. And we have mums, full-time workers, taking care of their kids, and for some, husbands too. And we have, we have engineers, electricians, we have project managers, we have pastors, entrepreneurs, analysts, lawyers, those who work in the medical industry, the health industry, and the list goes on. What is the purpose of work for you? I mean, if you ask a friend of yours at work, perhaps you ask them, what do you think the primary purpose of work is? Well, from a secular perspective, I think they would have mentioned one of many of these things. They might have said, you know, I work because... It's a way of earning a living. It's a way of supporting myself and my family. Perhaps they would have said, well, I work because of the luxuries of life. 
you know? I want, to, I want the latest gadgets. I want the nice clothing. I want to go to the Michelin star restaurants. I want to go on good holidays and buy property, etc. Perhaps they might have also said, well, I go to work because I have skills, I have talents, and I want to contribute my skills to the society. You know, I want to make a difference in the world. That's why I work. Well, the last example I've got is maybe they work because it's their identity. You know, it's a personal satisfaction and self-esteem. It's an opportunity for personal growth. There's a sense of pride and an accomplishment when they work. It's their identity. You know, as you can see, the purpose of work is just multifaceted, right? And actually, I think there's not much wrong with any of the purposes of work I just mentioned, isn't there? But for us as Christians, for us as believers, what does the Bible say about work? Not what my friends say, not what the secular world says, but what does the Bible say about work? We need to have a biblical understanding. And today we want to take a deep dive into the doctrine of work. Well, as Christians, first and foremost, you need to ask yourself, is work something we need to be doing? Do we even need to do it? Has God called us to this? Is it important? Well, if you open Genesis chapter 1, you'll see. The Bible begins talking about work as soon as it begins talking about anything. This is how important and basic work is. Now, work is something we see God exemplifying from the onset of the book of Genesis. Our God is a God that is at work. He is working in creation. He created the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon, the waters and the land and all living creatures on land, sea and sky. And he created people. He's working. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then we see in chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, straightly after, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were formed, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work work that he had done in creation. Our God is a worker. And he created us in his own image, meaning that we were created so that we might follow in his example, to imitate him in what he does. And the imitation of him comes in various forms, about his character. But today, as we talk about work, we have a God that works. And so to imitate him would mean that we must be workers too. You know, I've got three kids, Lucas, Eleanor, and Nora. Uh, when they were around three to four years old, they're much older than that now, but when they were that young, you asked them who was the strongest person in the world. It was daddy. 
You asked them who was the most handsome person in the room? <laughs> it was daddy. You know, who did they want to be like or imitate when they got older? It was daddy. To them, I was the epitome of greatness. Obviously, they're much wiser now, so I'm not in the picture anymore. But even from a young age, we are inclined to imitate and follow those who we think are great. It's our natural human instinct. And in God's greatness, we imitate his character in work. And so in the beginning, then God worked. Work was not a formation of something that came into the picture of human life because of evil. Or it's not even something that human beings decided to do because they were bored. No. Work is something God created and work was to be full of joy. Work is meant to be joyful and work is meant to be purposeful. You see, when God worked and saw the fruit of his work, he said that it was very good. He looked at all his work and all his creation and he was joyful. Working is a joyful thing. And then there's a, and then there's a purpose behind creation, right? In Genesis chapter 2 verse 6, it says this, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Can you see what God is doing? He's cultivating the ground for his creation. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Can you see God's providence, his purpose behind it? His purpose to provide for his creation. But here's what I also want to highlight to you. It should also remind us that God actually doesn't need us to maintain his creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 6 and 9 that we just read, we saw him maintaining his creation himself. He created it himself. And he's very much more than capable of maintaining maintaining it himself. But he chooses not to. He says in Genesis 2.15, he says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. God could have done it himself, but instead he has given us the opportunity to partake in his creation. It's, It's to maintain and beautify his creation. He has called us to work because work is a great thing. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Why is it such a joyful and great thing to do? Well, let me tell you. It's great. It's a wonderful thing to be working because we get to work for God. It's great because we get to work for God and we get to follow His rules at work. Work has now become an act of glorifying God. Work has now become a way we worship God. That's what work does, and that's the purpose of work. You know, right now, I have two jobs. I work for the ABC. I have such a wonderful boss at the ABC. And as I work for Sovereign Grace Parramatta, I have an even better boss. (laughs) Has Riley come back in? Yes, he has. (laughs) Thank you. 
You know, I'm really lucky to have two great bosses. And let me tell you, work becomes so much more enjoyable, purposeful when your bosses are awesome, but they still disappoint. You know, if sinful man can be good bosses, how much more will work be enjoyable, meaningful, purposeful when you actually realize that who you work for is God, for a way better boss? That's who you're working for. And this message of work and who we work for is not just this Old Testament thing that I'm telling you about. It's relevant for all of you here today. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 7, it says this, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you, were, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God and from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not men. He said we're called to work, but as though we're working for Christ, it says. We're called to work, but doing the will of God and doing the will of God is doing it all for him. He's our boss, not man. You know, we see it again in Colossians chapter 3, 23 to, 23 to 24, which is our main verse. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It can't get any obvious than that, I think. When the Bible talks about work, it doesn't mention the type of work that we all must be doing. Yes, God calls us. He's going to direct us and he's going to lead us into differing workplaces, but that's not the point. The point is wherever and whatever that workplace might be, the key point is that we work for King Jesus. You work for Jesus. Now, obviously, there are caveats to the term, you know, wherever and whatever you work for. If your, core, if your work is causing you to be corrupt and sinful, then you need to reconsider whether you're imitating Christ, right? But in the case here, for pretty much everyone here, at least that I know of, in our workplaces, it's not about the type of job that you do. Paul doesn't say, you bond servants, you should have been tax collectors. You should have been fishermen or carpenters. He doesn't say that. No, he does not. But when we talk about our faith and work, what's important is who you work for, not what you do. Because when you know who we work for, then our purpose changes, our attitude changes. It changes everything. As soon as we lose sight of this, though, as soon as we lose sight of the main thing comes the fall. So think about your current work. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. When you head into your workplace, or when you head into your workplace tomorrow, are you thinking that God has deployed you where you are so that you might work for him? Do you think about your job like that your ultimate boss, the one that, that you are called to impress and work for, is not ultimately your CEO or your manager or even yourself, but rather it's Christ. Because having this perspective, 
doing work, having Christ as your ultimate master changes everything. And I want to hammer in this point again and again and again. Our work matters. We are called to work, 100% we are. But to understand how work and faith play out together, we must understand that we ultimately work for the king. But let's be fair though. Work is difficult. It's a massive struggle at times, isn't it? Which leads me to my second point. Your work cannot fulfill or satisfy. Your work can be incredibly enjoyable, right? And don't be surprised when work is enjoyable because God created work to be enjoyable. But let's be honest, as I said before, work can be extremely, extremely, extremely painful. I'm sure we've had differing aspirations to do well in our jobs. But things don't always go according to plan, does it? You get issues at work, you have problems that occur. Now, I'm not saying that work is always marked by fruitlessness and pain, but how often this is true for many people at times when they work. We've all had difficulties at work. The reason why it's become so painful, difficult, is because sin. Sin changed everything. You know, the joy of work changed from reaping God's abundance to hardship. It wears us out. It becomes a source of frustration. And at times we dread it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19 says this, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ground is cursed. There will be pain in producing produce. There will be thorns and thistles. It's going to be a tiring endeavor for us all the days of our lives as we work. So as much as we shouldn't be surprised when work is actually enjoyable, we too shouldn't be surprised when work is actually tough and toilsome. Work exists now in a world that's sustained by God, but it's disordered by sin. And I want to touch on two elements on how I think work has been disordered by sin. Now, there are many things, but I think these two encapsulate most things. First thing is, work becomes your idol. Is work your idol? In fact, what does that even mean, is work your idol? You know, just because, you know, you work hard, does that mean work is your idol? Just because you enjoy work, does that mean that work is your idol? If you find pleasure and enjoyment and enjoyment in your work, does that mean that work is your idol? I don't, I don't think so. In fact, I think these are great motivations for work. But here's where work becomes an idol. Here's what Tim Keller, this is how Tim Keller explains it in his book. It says this, what are some of the idols of business, for example? Money and power certainly top the list. But remember that an idol is a good thing that we make into an ultimate thing. It's a good thing that we make into an ultimate thing. 
Is your work your ultimate satisfaction? You know, without it, do you feel empty at times? Is your hope rooted in your work? It's what you can't live without. Inevitably, it becomes your worship because as humans, our instinct is to worship. And so, friends, what is your ultimate satisfaction? Was it, is it, to ultimate, uh, is it to ultimately worship God or is it your work? Well, Luke 4 verse 8 says this, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Our jobs, our work can easily capture our hearts and our devotion. That's the power of what idols have in our hearts. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? He asked Jesus, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And this is what Jesus replies in Luke 18, 20 to 22. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The sad story of this is that the rich young ruler, he couldn't let go of his treasure. His ultimate, ultimate satisfaction was his riches. He couldn't give it away to follow Jesus. Idols prevent us from following Jesus. But friends, there's something else I really want to point out in this this story. Because It's easy to think for all of us here, pretty much, that our commitments at our church, our attempts to live a godly life, we look at all that and then conclude that work is therefore not an idol in our life. Because this is what the rich young man did, right? He lived according to the commandments. I did all that till my youth, all the days of my youth. But he deceived himself with all his godly commitments, not knowing that there was a wealth and an idol there of wealth. Yet Jesus knew that hiding under that was that idol of wealth. And we need to ask the same question as well. Are we being deceived with all our Christian work and forgetting that there may be some idols in our lives? Can you give it all away to follow Jesus? Sovereign Grace Church has work become your idol. It's a tough question, actually, to humbly admit at times. What is your ultimate worship? Who are you working for? Are you working for Jesus and finding him as your ultimate satisfaction? Number two, here's the second element of how work has been disordered by sin. Maybe it's not work being an idol, but rather it's work being idleness, I-D-L-E, idleness, right? Because we can swing the pendulum from work being everything to work being hardly anything at all to us. It means nothing. We actually under-identify ourselves in our work. Work doesn't really matter much to you. You do the bare minimum, you're slack at work, And you're fine with that. Or maybe you're not fine with that, yet that is still how you approach work. Well, this is what Paul writes about being slack at work. 
He says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul has, I think, zero sympathy for those who do not work. But I just want to remind you to point one. Remember point one? Our God is a working God. He has called you to work, not idleness. Now, I wasn't going to share this part, part, but I do want to share it quickly because we are all called to work. We all have different talents. God has given us some 10, some 5, and some 2, right? And some people in the same way aren't going to be capable to do work as much as they want to, in the way they want to. But what God has given us is that he knows our abilities and our limits. We're not all neurosurgeons here, right? We're not all going to be doing the same thing. But with the capability that we have, we still need to think of ways that we can work for the gospel. We are called to work. But here's the thing. Idleness, when we go, if we go back to idleness, idleness is not only about not working or the lack thereof, but it actually points to an inactivity in the heart. That's what idleness does. It's a, it's a heart issue, really. And this heart is a heart that does not grasp or understand God's purpose for you in the workplace. If we go back to Colossians chapter 3, 22 to 24, it says this, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Can you see what Paul is saying here in this text? He's warning us of doing nothing. He says, if you're a slave, do your work as a slave. Obey in everything, it says. Do your job. For Christians, idleness is not an option. Your purpose in work is that you work heartily as though you are serving Christ, not in idleness. God has a purpose for your work. He cares for your work and what you do. And if what you do is being idle, that means that you haven't grasped God's purpose for you in the workplace. Church, are you idle at work? This too is also a tough question to humbly admit at times. What is your ultimate worship? Who are you working for? Are you working for Jesus and finding him as your ultimate satisfaction? Sin has disordered work. Yet, yet, we can still be faithful to God in the workplace. How can we achieve that? That's my last point, being faithful to the work God has placed us. Being faithful to the work God has placed us. You know, I remember when I used to think about, you know, what does work and faith, how do they come together? You know, perhaps in life group, someone had asked, you know, how are you being a Christian in the workplace? First thing that comes into my mind is evangelism. You know, I need to be evangelizing. I need to be telling people about Jesus, which isn't wrong. But one of the other things that I would also think about is everything that I needed, everything that I was doing in the workplace 
had to have some sort of Christian element to it. And if it didn't, then I wondered, well, am I even doing godly work? Was I actually working for God? Is it only the pastors that actually do God's work? You know, I used to think that. But I think this is an incorrect thought. To be working for Jesus doesn't mean that we need to be constantly speaking about Christian teaching in our work. I would even say, and Riley, you could correct me later if you want, I would even say that it's not even the main thing we need to be principally looking out to do during our work. Because if that was the case, if we had to be constantly talking about Christians and all your teachers sitting here, you all need to go to Christian schools and you should only be teaching Christianity topics. And all of you business people sitting here, you need to work for companies that create Christian-themed products. You should only serve Christian customers. And maybe if you're doctors and physios and chiros or you're working in the medical industry, you need to be praying and healing as your source of diagnosing and helping patients, right? As you heard, that just doesn't sound right. I think this is a mistake. Operating as a Christian in the workplace, working for Jesus in the workplace does not mean that we are doing overtly Christian activities. And so herein lies the difficulty then, right? Understanding how then does my work and faith correspond, play out in the Christian life? What does it mean to work for Jesus? So then how do we transfer our faith and work on a Sunday? to our work? How do we do that? Here's the simple way to explain it, I think. The simple way is this. We look at our work through the lens of the gospel. We look at our work through the lens of the gospel. You know, as I work my spreadsheet, so I am doing the work, as I teach children in the class, as I wire the electrical lines of a building, as I run or attend team meetings or lead project meetings, as I write board reports, look after patients, enforce the law, home duties, etc., it's doing that work, but doing it through the lens of the gospel. Well, how does that, how does that play out? What do I mean by the lens of the gospel? Well, this is the gospel. The gospel is that we sinned. Christ died for you. Christ defeated sin. And anyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. That's the gospel. Romans 3, 23 to 24 says it like this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So firstly, friends, firstly, if you've been idolizing work or being idle in your work, then repent. Ask for forgiveness and ask that the Spirit might change your heart for work. The gospel is life-changing. It's life-changing truth, isn't it? Christ has bought us with a price. We're redeemed. His people. You know, we were once slaves to sin. 
We went to idleness. We went to idols of work. Idleness, there was pride, greed, and self-righteousness. We were slaves to that. That's what we went to before, but now we are slaves to righteousness. You are a child of God. And so we have this new confidence that's found through the gospel because now it's not about how great you are at work, but it's about how great Jesus is. God has given us Christ Jesus. He's our greatest satisfaction at our work. He's our greatest gift, our greatest joy, our greatest meaning, our greatest peace, and our greatest inheritance. When we think that our work can give us all that, then we've truly lost grip of the gospel. The gospel frees us. That's what the gospel does. It frees us from this relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves. It frees us from the need to find security and identity through our work. Why? Because we're already proven secure through Christ. All work now becomes a way to love God who saved us freely and by extension a way of now we can love our neighbours. That's the power of the gospel. It enables freedom in work. Freedom in work. We can respond to our work differently because of the gospel. Now, I know we're getting late to the sermon, so don't be surprised when I say this. Here are six foundational pillars that I want to talk about, all right? But they're going to be very quick, all right? So hang in there with me. I want to take a note of these six foundational pillars. Now, it's... It's foundational because I think it's going to help us kind of understand how we kind of bring work and faith, combine it together as Christians, okay? So make a note of these six pillars. I think it's going to be helpful for us. First thing is, because of the gospel, number one, because of the gospel, you have freedom to worship God in your work. You know, Matthew 22, 37 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? Honoring him through your work. Your goal in work isn't fame, it isn't riches, it isn't promotion, status, but rather it's loving him and making much of him and enjoying him as you work. Practically, how would that look like? Various things, but here's a few. Perhaps taking the opportunity to thank him to thank God for your job. Perhaps it's about praising God for the evidences of grace that you see in your workplace. Perhaps it looks like this. Working from nine to five, you may not have thought of anything about Jesus or that, but at the end of the day, you still come out of it and you think, wow, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to work faithfully in this workplace for you. It's about having the mindset of pleasing God in your work. Number two, because of the gospel, you have the freedom to serve others wholeheartedly. You see, the second part of Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven is that we are called to love our neighbors. You can love and serve your co-workers. You can love your bosses and even the toughest ones too. Why? Because you love Christ. Christ loves you and you work for him. Our work cannot 
right? Our work cannot earn us acceptance. In fact, God doesn't need our good works, but you know who needs our good works? Our neighbours. Our workers do. It's not to impress them, but it's to do good to them. So practically, how does that work out? Well, here's a few suggestions. Maybe it's actually just remembering when their birthdays or anniversaries are and wishing them good in that. Perhaps it's encouraging them as they do their work. Perhaps you can love them by helping them in their work. You know, if you're a master spreadsheet worker, help people who can't use them, right? And expect nothing in return. Here's the other way you could love your neighbour. Share the gospel. Share the good news of Jesus with them. Evangelism. Can you see that evangelism is only a subset of the many ways your faith and work play out? It's not the only way. It's only a subset. But we can love our neighbours because of the gospel. Third, the gospel, because of the gospel, you have freedom to trust God in your work. Proverbs 19.21 says this, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. <coughs> your boss, your boss up there, he's in control. He's sovereign over all things. He's already secured your future and your future inheritance in him. And so even though work is entangled by thorns and thistles, you're secured in Christ. So as you work hard for God, and perhaps you lose your job, or you don't get the promotion, you can still trust God in your work. Practically, how would that work out? Prayer. Asking for prayer. Lord, praying to him and saying, God, I just I entrust all my work to you. Practically, how else you could do it? Asking others for prayer. Asking them, I'm going through these difficult periods of my work. I'm finding it to trust God in my work. Can you pray alongside me? Praying. Number four, because of the gospel, you have freedom to rest from your work. You know, we saw God, he rested on the seventh day. Jesus also says, all who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. He wants you to rest. Because work is going to be weary and burdensome. And we aren't called to endless labor. You know, even our pastor, he's on leave right now. Did you know that? Yeah. See, we need to see our rest as a gift. It's an opportunity to rest actually in him. To be dependent on God in your work while you're on rest from work. And what can you do? You enjoy the fruits of your labor. Enjoy it. Because of the gospel, we have freedom to rest. Fifth, because of the gospel, you have freedom to do your work well. Titus 2.9 says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We work hard. We should be working hard, not pilfering, not argumentative in our work. Jesus is our greatest motivation to work well. 
to please him. We work for King Jesus, the greatest CEO. We should do our best work because we work for the king. Practically, what does this mean? What does it look like? Well, maybe it's being creative and cultivating and being competent in your work. You know, if you're in the medical industry, treat and diagnose your patients well. If you're a tradie, build that thing, wire that thing well. If you're a teacher, teach your students well. If you're a full-time mother, serve and love your family well. Work well. Be competent. Do everything so that it is well-pleasing, it says. Last, number six, because of the gospel, because of the gospel, you have freedom to enjoy work. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Working for anyone or anything other than Christ will disappoint, but working for Christ is the best. He will give you joy as you follow him. But here's the promise. In this world, our work is going to be entangled with sin and we still reap good fruit out of it, but there's going to come a time where you will receive inheritance as your reward. said that in Colossians 3.24. All your work in heaven will be fruitful. And above all, in that time, you will be completely working for him and him alone. What joy, what joy there is in that promise. As you set your eyes on that, your current work, it can be joyful in the midst of hardship. So to close off, as we live sanctifying the ordinary life, sanctifying the ordinary life, how does faith and work come together? Well, the gospel. The gospel enables us to love our Lord God in our work. The gospel, it enables us to love our work colleagues. The gospel enables us to trust God in our work. The gospel, it enables us to rest in our work. The gospel, it enables us to enjoy the work that we do. You work for Christ. He has deployed you wherever you are for this season. Trust that he has placed you there for a reason. And your job in your workplace is to work faithfully for him. And all this can happen at work, starting tomorrow, as you remind yourself that you work for Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your words this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our greatest boss, our greatest CEO. Lord, we work for you. And thank you that it is because of the gospel, because Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of idolatry and idleness that may hold us in chains. But Father, won't you remind your people here today that we are free in Christ and we can work for the glory of your name in Christ Jesus, that you may take all the glory and honor and praise in our workplaces. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.